Mindfulness Mode, Episode 27. The best lover is someone who pays a lot of attention to you and at the same time allows you to just be the way you are. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for the great reviews on iTunes. I'm going to read one by Shari T. So happy to have found this gem. I so enjoyed listening to the episodes and journeys of the people interviewed. I learned so much about how to truly make mindfulness a part of everyday life. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I've got some meditation videos for you on my website free. All you have to do is go to mindfulnessmode.com and click on fine-tune your focus five-step challenge put in your name and email and i'll send you those videos right away i think you'll find them helpful okay mindful tribe let's get started i'm totally thrilled to have nirmala with me today on the line are you in mindfulness mode nirmala absolutely in fact i I can't seem to turn it off (laughs) that's great nirmala is a spiritual teacher and author who is a deep believer in the positive benefits of mindfulness. He offers one-on-one, non-dual spiritual mentoring over the phone or through Skype. His mentoring is an opportunity to discover that limitless love is our true nature and is possible at every moment. He's written several books, including a poetry collection called Gifts with No Giver, Nirmala lives in Sedona, Arizona, and has a website called endless-satsang.com where he shares his thoughts through ebooks and videos. Nirmala, would you share a little bit more about yourself? Sure. I mean, the first thing I would say is that I'm just a very ordinary person, and I seem to have uncovered or discovered within myself a very extraordinary dimension of being, which is dimension of awareness. And that is uh, kind of like an endless universe to discover, to explore um, all the potentials within that. And it appears to be universal. Every, I mean, anyone who's hearing these words is obviously aware. So awareness is always present. That's why I said earlier, I can't seem to shut off the, uh, you know, mindfulness, awareness. Mindfulness is just a certain way of of directing attention or awareness. And so, you know, that's been the, the, my main passion for the last almost 20 years uh, to, to explore that, that strange, mysterious, and yet everyday, ordinary experience of being aware. Nirmala, I'd love to hear a story about how you first came to discover that this would be your path in life, about being aware. Tell us about that. Sure. I mean, like, like probably a lot of people, I, I embarked on a kind of spiritual journey when my life fell apart. So at a certain point, about 20 years ago, my, my first wife left me suddenly for another man. And in the process of trying to sort through all of that, I reached out to various various means of, of dealing with it, including something called the Sedona Method. And it was at, a, at the Sedona Method uh, retreat that I attended that I met my teacher. Her name is Neelam. And she, the only thing I can say is that there was something about her presence that was so remarkable, 
so alive, so uh, awake that I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't wrap my mind around it, but I also kind of couldn't let it go. And so I kept coming back to uh, experience, to retreats and, and satsangs with Neela. And then it, it, as it turned out, she was headed to India. And so I actually ended up dropping everything, giving away my house to my you know, soon-to-be ex-wife. Uh, I dropped out of medical school and got on a plane to India, which was like the last place on earth I ever wanted to go. <laughs> and just to, just to be able to continue to be in, in, with Neela. And even on the, on the way there, I, I just found I started getting happier and happier, more and more present, um, which culminated in a particular night, late at night after everyone else had gone to bed. I wandered down to the, the banks of the Ganges River, which was right next to the retreat center where we were staying. And I just was sitting there by this giant set of rapids in the river. And very simply, as I was sitting there, I suddenly noticed that the rock that I was leaning against was actually part of me. It was inside of me. There's no, it, it, it didn't make sense to my mind, but it was a felt direct experience of oneness with the rock. And then because that rock was part of me, it suddenly seemed obvious that all the rocks, there were a bunch of big boulders, all a big field of boulders next to the river, that all of them were part of me. And then if it was this, this set of boulders, it also was the boulders on the other side of the river. And then if it was those, then even the river itself was... It, the only words I can say is that the river was inside of me. Of course, it didn't really make sense to call it me anymore, but that's the felt sense. And if the river was inside of me, that basically meant the whole continent of India was inside of me. And then if all of that was inside of me, so was the planet and the solar system and so on and so forth. So basically my mind couldn't keep up, but it was still a felt sense that all of it, everything was inside of me. And how long did this sensation last for you, Nirmala? Um, it's always, uh, I would say it's, I mean, it lasted very strongly for many hours and it's always available. All I have to do is, is notice that that's still true. It's still, it still is a direct, uh, directly available experience that, you know, you and the computer and, the chair I'm sitting on and the sky with the clouds, that they all exist within a greater field of awareness that is really who I am. So this was the first time that it happened. It happened for several hours. And after that, you could recall that at any time. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, it's not, it, it's a you know powerful mystical experience, but it's also uh, you know it's funny how the extraordinary becomes ordinary <laughs> if it's repeated often enough. <laughs> but you weren't reaching for anything at that point. You just it just happened to you. You just allowed it to happen, and it happened. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's you know in the time leading up to it, I would say what was happening was that I just 
started becoming happier and happier, more, more and more okay with whatever was happening. Was it almost like a euphoria? Uh, yeah, but a deep, quiet kind of euphoria. And so when this experience showed up, there was, I was in, the, I was in, in accepting mode. I was in allowing right, mode. So right, you were in allowing mode. Well, this begs the question to me, and I hope this isn't too personal, personal but you talked about Neela. So were you in love? This sounds like you were in love. No, well, I, there was a, there was definitely a, a kind of platonic love. I mean, and her name is Neelam. It's it's a Sanskrit word means blue sapphire. Okay. So there's an M at the end. Okay. Um, and but it's but it's interesting because I never I never had that kind of romantic interest in her. Uh, but it, but it was it, in other respects it was similar to to falling in love. She was just you know very her again her presence was very irresistible. So you were drawn to her. Yeah. And I think I think I was fortunate that I didn't have any romantic interest because it kept it kind of simple. (laughs) I wasn't I wasn't also, uh, you know, uh, all wrapped up in that kind of stuff. Yeah. So then did you study with her then? If you can call it that, Neelam was a master at not answering my questions. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I thought of my after a while I thought of, that she, it, it was as if she would pop the balloon of my question okay and, and leave me kind of speechless and you know uh, uh, you know I couldn't I couldn't deny the wisdom of what she said but I I also couldn't uh, really you know form a, a big conceptual framework out of it it was just very alive very direct, based on direct experience, which is the kind of the tradition she comes from through her teacher, whose name was Papaji. Is she someone that still teaches you? Do you still learn from her today? Um, I I still am in touch with her. It's, you know, after that experience by the river, you know, it, it just started happening that everywhere I went, other people wanted to talk to me. And so after a while, I, I, you know, became, in a sense, her, her colleague and her friend rather than her, her student. Right. But I still, uh, you know, deeply respect her. And she, she still does wonderful work. You can, you, can uh, you know, explore her, her work online also. Nirmala, I think a lot of people try to make things happen, try to force things, try to you know, orchestrate their life. And I think that allowing is something that's incredibly important for us to be able to do. But it's, it's not easy to just give up. It's not (laughs) giving up. It's not really giving up, right? Can you speak about allowing and how we really make that happen in our lives? Yeah, um, I think there is a little bit of truth in what you said is that it, it's so hard that we actually what's really hard is all the effort we do to try to change our life that never quite works. And yet I think what actually happens when there is a moment of surrender is that we wear ourselves out trying to control things or make something happen. And so there's a, a just a natural kind of letting go, surrender. Um, I, I often say that, you know, n- nobody actually surrenders. They just uh, are surrounded and run out of bullets. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. then, and, then, and then they wave the white flag, you know, because that's all the only option left. Right. So that's often the way it happens. 
with uh, with this you know ex- this kind of spiritual exploration, this process of uh, exploring our our being, our awareness. There is that. Having been said, there is which also addresses what you said. There is a a kind of in between place, which is to purely pay attention without trying to fix or change or get rid of or do anything to the experience you're having. And that, that's a kind of in-between place because there's not really so much effort and yet it's not, you know, it's not just kind of getting under the covers and <laughs> closing your eyes and plugging your ears either. <laughs> right. It's, it's, uh, it, but it's, so it's a light touch, a simple touching of experience without the effort that you described. And what I find is that still doesn't cause anything to happen, but it does make you very available. Your attention is present, so if something happens, you notice. You are there when there are these more subtle openings or shifts or or recognitions, like my recognition that that rock was inside of me. I wasn't doing anything to make that happen. I just was paying attention and noticed that it was so. Right. Well, you know what? It seems to me that we live in a society, especially here in North America, where it's all about faster, more, harder, work harder, work harder, <laughs> make it faster. Come on, we'll we'll succeed by doing all these things when in fact the truth is quite the opposite, isn't it? Well, especially especially on the inner subtle levels of our experience, which is actually where peace and joy and happiness and love are all found and experienced. Uh, you know, unfortunately, all that effort and struggle does sometimes pay off in an outer sense. I mean, if you strive long enough and hard enough, you sometimes actually achieve what you set out to do. But on the inner level, the harder you strive and struggle and effort the more it, it tends to interfere. It's almost like it's, it's uh, the, the brake pedals hooked up to the gas and the gas pedals hooked up to the brakes right. on the inside. So, you know, if, you're, if your goal is to make a million dollars, you may need to focus more on external effort. Though actually, you see, even on the outside, I would say that there still is that principle that often success comes when we've worn ourselves out. And then we're open to grace. We're open to the, the intelligence, the wisdom, the mystery of life itself. And if you, if you, you know, talk to any extremely successful people they, in a very open, honest moment, they may admit that they actually feel like an imposter, that they didn't really do anything to get right. their success. But there it is. It happened, you know. And, and again, that maybe the effort and the struggle on the external level makes them available. I mean, again, if you, if you stay in your bedroom and hide under the covers, you probably aren't going to become a world-class entrepreneur. But, <laughs> right. you know, if you, if you really examine what happened in the lives of people who are very successful, it's often, it's often an amazing set of, you know, fortuitous circumstances that just allowed that to unfold. When you were a child, did you see yourself as 
being different from some of the other children? Did you feel like you had a, a sense of the now, a sense of the present? Or did this come to you more as an adult? When did this first happen that you... You told us the story about by the river, but how old were you when you first recognized that you could, that you saw the world differently than many others? Oh, I, I would say that, that I was very precocious. I, I was very interested in all this stuff when I was a, a teenager, starting at about age 15. And just poured myself into all this, you know, meditation and uh, reading spiritual books and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then I, I often think I just, I had to have a normal life. I had to like find out what that was about also. So I went off and pursued a, you know, a series of careers and uh, worldly experiences and relationships and ended up getting married and having, a, you know, a very worldly life. So during that whole time, the, the interest in matters of of mind, consciousness, awareness, spirituality, all, they were all still there, but I would say they were more like a hobby. They were more in the background, just something I dabbled in in my free time. Right. And it wasn't until that whole journey that began with the end of my marriage that it became the center of my life, the, the main focus. Again, after, <laughs> after having gotten away from it. <laughs> right. I know you talk a lot about love, and I was just watching a video where you were talking about different um, different thoughts about love. I'm just interested in your thoughts about love and autism. And, you know, like I deal with autistic children being involved in education, and my son is autistic on the high-functioning spectrum. I sometimes wonder if love is different for him. Do you have thoughts about love and how it may differ for those of us who are autistic? There's a few things I could say. I mean, the first thing I would express is my, my understanding of what love is. And it, it is something, I think, a little bit more fundamental and simple than, than all of the specific kind of emotional qualities. You know, like you said, the missing and the, uh, you know, liking kind of thing. Um, I think that at its in its essence, love is the flow of awareness with acceptance. The best lover is someone who pays a lot of attention to you and at the same time allows you to just be the way you are. If you're feeling crabby or tired or uh, you know excited or anything like that, they're, they're curious, they want to know about it, they want to know what's happening for you and what it's like and all that, but they don't try and change you at all. And so that's the essence of love. That's the, in a sense, that's the deeper essence of mindfulness. You know, I think the word mindfulness can kind of make it seem like you're, it's just a certain kind of attention. But I think when you bring in that quality of accepting and allowing, almost even embracing, then it involves more of our being. You could maybe even, instead of calling it mindfulness, call it heartfulness, bringing a, a heart quality of, of acceptance, love to the, to the awareness, to the paying attention to things. And so, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of direct experience with autism, but I will just mention real briefly, there's which some, something you might be aware of, which is the Op Option Institute in Massachusetts 
where they work. They kind of bring this this style of love, this definition of love, to bear on on kids with special needs, including autistic children. And basically, it's a fascinating thing because basically, it's the challenge would be how do you communicate to someone who is is communicates differently this love? Yes, and exactly. In the case of the founders of the Option Institute, which was Barry and Susie Kaufman, they, um, the way they stumbled upon to communicate to their autistic son that they accepted him was they very simply mimicked him. Mm. And they, they set up a very intensive program. He was, he was severely autistic and would sit for hours and just spin a plate on the floor or rock you know, no eye contact. He was uh, extremely withdrawn. But they would, they had a team of people that would spend hours and hours and hours, weeks upon weeks upon weeks, maybe even, I think it went up more longer than a year, where when he spun a plate, they sat next to him and spun another plate. When he rocked, they would rock. When whatever, whatever he did, they did the same thing. And the idea was to deeply communicate to him that they accepted him the way they, that he was. Interesting. And, and after, and there were, there were uh, you know, breakthroughs and then setbacks, but after a very, very long time of this approach, the, um, you know, he started making eye contact and he started asking for things. And ultimately, he grew up and went to college and became a totally normal, healthy, functioning. Uh, he must now be a middle-aged man, <laughs> but, he was, but it, the, the, the transformation was truly radical and profound. They even made a TV movie about it called Sunrise, only Sun is spelled S-O-N. I don't know if you could still find it on Netflix because that was way, it came out way back in the 70s or so. Um, so anyway, so that's that's a very challenging but very direct way of expressing acceptance to someone who is so very different you know it's almost it almost be like uh, mimicking your pet you know to to communicate to the pet that it's okay just the way it is it's non non non-verbal non-conceptual love communicating love communicating that you're paying attention and that you totally un without without conditions accepted them the way, just the way they are. Personally, I think that if we can be more like that with everyone and in the whole world, we're better off, don't you? Absolutely. Like I said, you know, mindfulness is, I think, I think mindfulness is like a, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize it, but it's like training wheels. It's teaching us to, it's teaching us to consciously love, to consciously pay attention. And I think over time you can you can expand that you can deepen the flow of attention and acceptance, and in that process, you it, the great thing about it is you just get filled with love. We we think that love is something we get from the outside. That if I could only get other people to pay attention to me, then I would be right. then I would be happy. Yes, but there's always a limit on how much of you can experience love coming from the outside. It's, and it's basically, uh, I had a teacher years ago who used to say, you can never get enough of what doesn't satisfy. And that's the nature of 
the attention we get from others. It's, ne it's just never enough. I mean, other people are limited. But if we're giving attention, if we're showering every object and every sensation and every person and every uh, sound and every sight and every uh, thought and every feeling and every you know uh, desire that moves in our being, if we give, if we shower it with unlimited attention, then we are filled with love from the inside. We have a very rich, full experience of this pure, open-hearted attention that accepts everything. And, and, you know, a wonderful thing is you can, you can jump right in, right where you are with whatever is happening, whatever is in front of you, whatever sensation is present, whatever is, you know, whatever person is there. It's probably, it's probably best to start with kind of neutral things, like a lamp. Right. <laughs> or a pencil or something, uh -huh. and just, just notice what it's like to give it all of your attention, all of your capacity to notice things about it without fixing it or changing it or doing anything to it. Yes. Not yeah. easy for some of us, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's what I said. Start with something neutral. You know, you, when you want, want to learn to play the piano, you don't start with Beethoven. You know, you start yes. with something. So start with something that is easy, you know, something neutral or something that you like, a beautiful piece of art or music or something like that. Mindful Tribe, there's a great exercise to do. A really great exercise, just like Nirmala is saying, to start with an object and then let it sort of drip through to our real lives so that we can just, you know, put that love element into everything, every relationship, everything we do. And we don't always think of mindfulness as being filled with love, but that is really a powerful way to think about mindfulness. Yeah, and, and I'll just mention that uh, on my website, there's a free eBooks tab at the top. And on that page that opens, the first book you'll see is Living from the Heart. And the third part of that book has a whole bunch of guided exercises you can do in doing what you just, what you just uh, offered or what you just uh, invited people to do. So it's, the, the third part of the book is called Love is for Giving. And that basically points to this possibility of being filled with love by giving it to anyone and everything. Right. Nirmala, did you ever have a time in your life when you felt like mindfulness was not working for you? Huh. You know, like I said, it, it's hard for me to draw these boundaries because as I say, I, you know, to me, I, like my, I challenge people to, to not be aware. Like, how do you shut that off? Where right. do you, there's no switch, you know, it's like a, it's like, a, you know, sometimes it's bright and flowing and very awake, you could call it. And then other times it's foggy and drowsy. And, but even, even ultimately in deep sleep, there's something that registers the experience. Because when we wake up in the morning, we know we slept. Sure. And so, you know, the awareness itself always works. <laughs> awareness is by its nature aware. Our Mindful Tribe listeners often ask me about discipline, and it's an interesting question. Now, I know you're an author, and you practice mindfulness. You probably have comments on discipline. 
my nature, I guess you could say, is, and I think it's a wonderful approach to discipline, is to make everything more into uh, an exploration, a curiosity. Find where you're, where this, like we said about starting with neutral objects, find out where this uh, flow of attention naturally, effortlessly occurs where you already are very, very curious and very present to your experience. And explore that, not, not, you know, rather than trying, again, it's like trying to play Beethoven the first time you play the piano. You know, instead, pick something easy. Give your attention to your something that's your favorite thing to do, whether that's chocolate or, uh, you know, uh, being out in nature or whatever it is. Very interesting. Nirmala, having worked in bullying prevention for quite a while, I've seen how mindfulness can really make a positive difference in the lives of anyone who has been bullied. Do you have a story that involves bullying and mindfulness? There is something I can share, which may may be very useful. And, you know, I mentioned that one way of accessing, which, which I talk about in the book, Living from the Heart, one way of accessing this greater flow of awareness is to literally drop into your heart to it's not it's not noticing your heart it's more dropping awareness so that it flows from that part of your body so you look and listen and feel from the center of your chest and that's a wonderful way to very quickly create a kind of zoomed out experience a fuller richer experience of your surroundings or your experiences. Nirmala, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who's one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Oh, uh, you know, everyone I've ever felt love for has has opened that. Like I mentioned Neelam, my wife, Right. And and at a certain point, every, everyone I meet is uh, is an opportunity to to both notice my capacity to open my awareness and also the places where I I hesitate, where I where I feel I can't, or where you know where there's still some remaining pocket of conditioning that's keeping my heart closed. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? You know, it, it, uh, the simplest answer is that it hasn't changed them at all, except in their du- duration. When you're when you're in this place of curiosity, openness. I mean, when I when I feel sad, I go, "Wow, wow, that's really interesting. I'm really sad right now." And I and I you know go right down into the center of that sadness and and check it out and notice all the sensations in my body and. Every, you know, passing thought or, you know, that's connected to that sadness, all the associations. And I'm so fascinated with it that I think I, it's like chewing your food thoroughly or something. I, I digest it. I get the sadness. And, and so it's often, it's funny, it's often almost gone in the moment I pay that much attention to it. Because mm-hmm. I, it's hard to call it sadness anymore. Right. It's just it's just uh, a beautiful new experience showing up. Nirmala, tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. 
Hmm. You know, I think uh, uh, I, I remember uh, my, my wife actually taught me this, that when they, when they do studies of mindfulness and meditation, they found that anything you do to change your breathing basically will put you in a more meditative, aware space. And so I, I like I like things that are simple, you know, I mean, anybody, you know, you can just about do anything to your breath and it will change your, your state of consciousness. So, you know, breathing rapidly, breathing deeply, counting your breaths, counting, you know, breathing to a specific rhythm, holding your breath, (laughs) all of those (laughs) things, uh, it can't help, it can't help but bring you more in touch with your direct present moment experience because the breath is so central to our experience if you could recommend a book on mindfulness what would it be definitely the the book we've been talking about living from the heart which again is free on my website it's a it's a wonderful both introductory approach to exploring your capacity for fuller awareness for love and also, any anyone at any point in the in the process could use it to really deepen into that experience. It comes at it from several different angles, and it's full of wonderful, simple little exercises that it guides you through. Excellent. Can you share an app which helps you be more mindful? I do use a timer when I meditate because. Um, Recently, I've just been exploring meditating for much longer time, periods of time. Mm-hmm. And I, I do you know, a, a range of different kinds of meditation, but I, I will go for an hour, 90 minutes, sometimes even two hours. And it, it, until you experience it, there, there is, it's hard to describe, but there is, it's almost like another gear. Be like if you were driving on the freeway and, and someone said, hey, did you know you're in fourth gear? There's a fifth gear, you know, a manual transmission. You right. can shift and like something shifts and it's like, you know, the whole engine, the car <laughs> relaxes because right. you shift into that higher gear. And there's actually um, some recent neurological research that shows that longer meditations have a more profound effect, that there is some greater effect that comes it kicks in around 45 minutes to an hour Ah. so it's a very very simple app but if you just set the timer for a longer period of time it can it can uh it can give you another another kind of experience right very interesting what advice would you give a person who is new to mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life uh i think i think basically that idea of just playing just give, you know i remember when i was a kid i i took piano i had to take piano lessons because my parents made me and finally they let me quit and then years later i discovered that i actually liked to play the piano oh. i just didn't like to practice <laughs> <laughs> and so if you can approach all of this every new you know technique or approach to mindfulness or heartfulness or love or whatever it is it approach it all like a like a, a game a, a form of play exploration curiosity that i think allows the, the greatest benefit nirmala it's been such a pleasure to spend this time with you today and i'm certainly inspired by what you've been doing with your life how do we contact you at mindful tribe 
Uh, the simplest thing is the website, which you mentioned, endless-satsang.com. I also have a, a, you know, a page on Facebook. The links to that are on my website. Um, there's a page on there where people can uh, contact, you know, use a contact form to, if they wanted to have a one-on-one mentoring session. So that's probably the, the best, um, you know, open uh, connection point. Right. Excellent. Yes. Well, it has been fantastic talking with you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been my pleasure. I'm glad we got together. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. In appreciation, I'll mention you at the top of an upcoming show. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.